We find here in our text a classic example of somebody or somebodies who forget to thank God. The Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth at that time, God in the flesh, walking this earth, and he does something wonderfully nice for 10 men, but only one remembers to thank God. Folks, we have so much to thank God for. Do we seize the opportunity throughout the day, the little things, the things that we could take for granted, but God brings them to us. God does them for us. God blesses us with them. Whatever it is, please, God help us. Don't forget to thank Him. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke and the 17th chapter, Luke chapter 17. The story is told of a mother who was leading her little son outside of the church on a Sunday morning after the services ended. They're passing by the pastor's office, and the preacher stopped him and said, uh, wait, wait, I got something for you. And he ran and grabbed an orange and gave it to the little boy. Of course, the mother looked down at the little boy and said, now what do you say? The little boy looked at the preacher and said, you forgot to peel it for me. We've been talking this month about being thankful, right? Being grateful, leading up and especially to this weekend. And uh, by way of background here, we have a lesson from the Gospel of Luke. And our Lord Himself is in this, this story from the Bible. And it's a powerful one that deals with the subject of gratitude. We pick it up in Luke 17, beginning in verse number 11. It says, And it came to pass, as He went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men, which were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There is not found that return to give glory to God, save or accept this stranger. There's a real lesson here, folks, and we're going to talk about it as we talk about don't forget to thank God. Don't forget to thank God. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you, Lord, as we begin. We ask you to help us now. It's such an honor and privilege to be able to sit here in freedom today and worship and sing and open our Bibles and see what saith the Lord. We ask you to help us now to glean the truth, but more importantly, to put it to practice. We ask for grace in this area. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may not know it, but we just celebrated the the 75th, really, official Thanksgiving. And most people think it goes way back further than that. And and it does, in a sense, 
Of course, it all starts with Plymouth Rock in 1621 and the pilgrims that came over and the, the harsh conditions they lived in, and many of them died within that first year even. But it wasn't until 168 years later that George Washington brought it up and said, you know, we need a national holiday commemorating that. So it kind of got going, sputtered a little bit, and our third president came along, Thomas Jefferson, and he kind of suspended it. He called it a kingly practice, and I don't know what he meant by that, but it was it was placed on hold for 40 years until 1828 when Mary Hall, she's the gal who wrote uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb, and Mrs. Hall began this campaign to make an official holiday every year, thanking, thanking God on the third Thursday of November. Well, it took 35 years until finally Abraham Lincoln kind of introduced it once again, and it was practiced for some time, but it, it wasn't really until 1941 that it was ratified. So, yeah, it, we've been doing officially now for 75 years. I've said this before a number of times down through the years. It's my favorite holiday. It's a wonderful time of the year, one of the sweetest times of the year. And, and the weekend afterwards even brings with it, I think, this, this afterglow with this sweetness in the air and this time of reflection. This is my 30th year of celebrating Thanksgiving as the pastor of this church, 30 times. And I go back to the old days, I go back to the old building, I go back to maybe a dozen people, you know, that would huddle together the night before Thanksgiving, and I reflect on those blessings of the past and the blessings of of this local church, and I'm reminded of a verse in Psalm 100 and verse 4, which says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Notice it speaks of the gates and the courts. And these are things that we would say are synonymous, not only with the temple at that time, but with the local church at this time and coming into God's house with a grateful heart. We can sing songs like I have been blessed and songs like God has been so good. But I wonder if we really stop to think of how good God has been. I don't know how you spent Thanksgiving. I spent it uh, with my grandsons and, of course, kids, obviously. And I, I spent at least three to four hours just holding my new grandson. I'll tell you, that is therapeutic. There's nothing in the world like that. I've often said, and you've often heard, that grandkids are the reward for not killing your children, right? And and maybe right now, you're, you know, you're still raising them and and maybe the tendency is to complain. And, you know, remember George Bailey? Why did we have to have all these kids, you know? And, and now's not the time to bring that up. You know, it's a little late. But but maybe they mess the house and, and they mess the car. I was in somebody's car here the other day, and they have a bunch of kids. And, and uh, I was sitting in the back seat as they were driving. I was going, boy, this brings back memories. But kids mess up stuff. They make noise. They get into mischief. But don't forget to thank God for your kids. Don't forget to thank God for your spouse. I'm sure there's times that that spouse is irritating and tries your patience, but don't forget to thank God for your spouse. And, and by the way, the grass is not greener. The devil will tell you that line. He'll sit on your shoulder and, and, and tell you that. But don't take your spouse for granted. Don't take your church for granted. There's a lot of places in this world where you could not go to a Scripture New Testament church today. Don't take your house for granted. You know, there are places just south of the border here in, in Mexico that, that they're living in cardboard boxes and the city dump. In fact, if a refrigerator box comes in or an appliance box comes in, they fight over it. It's a shelter. 
And, and we have so much to be thankful here with the houses we live in. Your furnace, the little things, the, the, the heat that comes out of that chamber and, and warms your house this time of year. Don't take that for granted. There was a little girl that uh, had lost a leg. It was amputated through some disease. And it was Christmas time, and they came back from Christmas vacation. And the children in her class were kind of complaining about what they got in their stocking that year for Christmas. And she said, in her innocence, she said, you know, I would love to just have a, a leg to put in my stocking. The things we take for granted sometimes, food, food. We live in a country where we throw more food than most people eat in other countries. In fact, there was a, uh, a family that uh, had the neighbor boy over to eat. And the neighbor boy was from a Christian home. His parents were out of town. And this family next door was pretty affluent and, and uh, posh. And, and uh, they, they brought in this fancy meal. And, and everybody in the family just started eating right away, except the little Christian boy he looked at everybody kind of shocked. And they, they realized he wasn't eating yet, so they stopped eating with food in their mouth, said, what's wrong? He said, well, well nothing. He said, it's, it's just that you're like my dog. You just dig right in. And from the mouth of babes comes the truth. Where's the thanks? Where's the praise to God for that food? We find here in our text a classic example of somebody or some buddies who forget to thank God. The Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth at that time, God in the flesh, walking this earth. And he does something wonderfully nice for 10 men. But only one remembers to thank God. Let's pick it up here. We see what I call, first of all, the, the suffering 10. In verse number 11, it says, And it came to pass, as he, Christ, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. If you look behind me, you'll see a map of Israel at that time. You'll notice way up in the north, you have Galilee. In the middle of the country, primarily, you've got uh, the, the region known as Samaria. And then you have down to the south, Judea. There were the half-breeds that lived in Samaria as a result of the Jews being carried away captive and some heathens brought in and intermingling with the people. And, and so the other Jews didn't have much to do with the Samaritans. And here's Jesus Christ. He's up in Galilee. And that's where the, the crux of his ministry took place around the Sea of Galilee. And he's making his way down to, to the south. But most Jews would pass kind of over to the east, and they'd go along the Jordan River Valley. They might even walk through the, the, the mountain ridge there, the treacherous part of the country, just to keep from going from north to south through Samaria. And you see Jerusalem down there, a little bit over to your right and down a little bit. Christ is on his way there. But he goes through Samaria. He doesn't go around. The Bible says in verse number 11, he passed through the midst of Samaria. You know, our God doesn't avoid the unsavory. We do that kind of thing. We're respecters of persons. We, we're biased and prejudiced and hold grudges and so on and so forth. But here's Jesus Christ goes right through Samaria. We find in John chapter 4 these words, and he must needs go through Samaria as he's there another time to deal with the woman at the well. He said, I've got to go through that place. So he doesn't avoid it. And he's passing through it again. And we find in verse number 12, it says, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men, which were lepers, which stood afar off. 
Leprosy at that time knew no cure. It's a different day and age in which we live in now, but there were horrific ramifications if somebody came down with leprosy at that time. Leprosy attacked the body. It, 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 it manifested itself with sores and uh, the loss of nerve endings and pretty soon deadness of skin and then skin turning white and hairs falling off the hands and arms and head and, and then limbs decaying and rotting and, and hands falling off and, and uh, forearms falling off and, and feet falling off. It was an awful thing as that flesh would rot and literally slowly kill that person who had it. And sometimes, in fact, much of the time, it took about 30 years to run its course. From the time somebody got it until they died, the limbs were falling off. It was an awful thing, and there was no medical treatment for it. There was nothing that could be done for it. You know, in some years past, they've even had to deal with leprosy in third world countries. A number of years ago, there was a, uh, a lady by the name of Beth Moore, and she was visiting a mission field on a short-term mission trip, and she knew there was a leper colony there. And she said, I, I have such a burden for these people. I've just, I've got to go there and witness to them. And she went up to the gate of it and she turned around. She got nauseated and she, she went to go in again and she just couldn't do it. She tried a third time, but she got violently ill and she was overwhelmed with the smell coming out of that leper, leper colony as, as there was that rotting, decaying flesh. Leprosy is an awful thing, folks. But there's more than just the physical trauma. Think of the emotional trauma of having a disease that was considered a curse at the time. If you got this, you were cursed of God. You were an outcast. It was a scourge. And, and you had to be separated from your family, from your community. I mean, immediately you had to be removed. There was no kissing your children goodbye. There was no kissing your spouse goodbye. You didn't want them to get it. You just had to leave and never get close to us again. We find in verse 12 here, the Bible says, And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men, which were lepers, which stood afar off. We find these suffering ten, and they banded together here. You know how misery loves company. And there they are, kind of unable to work anywhere, so begging and, and begging at a distance and, and yelling and warning people as they'd come into a community, uh, unclean, unclean. And, and the stipulations surrounding a leper are really described in detail in Leviticus chapter 13. But they were outcasts and they, they would normally live in groups, but they were withdrawn. They lost contact from society. They lost their jobs. They had no hope. They did not celebrate holidays. They did not celebrate Thanksgivings, holding their grandchildren. It was a different life for them altogether, alone and impoverished. We find these suffering ten. But secondly, we see the Savior's touch. In verse 13, it says, And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They lifted up their voices. They were used to that. They had to yell unclean wherever they went. They had to keep their distance. And so here's these hoarse voices in unison saying, Jesus, they call him master. They get it. There's reverence. And then they say, have mercy on us. Have you ever called out to the Lord for mercy? Bible tells us in Titus 3, 5 that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, 
He saves us. The cry of mercy and even salvation. The cry of mercy after salvation. Jesus Christ heard it a number of times. Have mercy on me. We read over in Matthew 15, 22, there was a woman of Canaan. She came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. And she got help. We read over in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 30 that two men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord. And they got help. Jesus Christ never failed to help somebody who cried out for mercy. And now in verse number 14, the Bible says, And when he saw them, the ten, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Who's the priest? Well, the priest was a Levite. The priest was a a Jewish clergyman, if you will. And the priest's position was to lead in the worship on the Sabbath day and, and do all that temple stuff. But he was also, ironically, the local health official, if you want to put it that way. He had a position given by God that if somebody, if they thought somebody was coming down with leprosy, they brought him to the priest and they said, check out this guy and check out his house. And, and if, by for whatever reason, a, a leper got over his leprosy, it was the job of the priest once again to inspect that leper and make sure he was over it and okay it and restore him. So in verse 14, it says, when Jesus saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priest. What was that all about? Well, it goes way back to Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 2. God had said, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. He needs to go to the priest. In fact, Christ healed a a different guy, another leper over in Matthew chapter 8. And of all things, in verse 4, he saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Um, to be a good testimony as far as that goes. And so in verse 14 of our text, when he saw these 10, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. You know, this had to be a humbling thing. This guy's a Samaritan. Remember the Jews, didn't, they didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. Samaritans didn't have anything to Jews. And now Christ is sending this Samaritan to this Jewish priest, But he humbles himself and he obeys the words of Christ and God blessed him for doing it. He just did what he was told. Do we we just do what we're told? From God's word today, when God gives us instruction, do we just follow it? Now, I, I also note here that he had to follow in faith. He had to obey in faith. God wants us obedient before the answer comes. This leper just took off with his other nine buddies and the disease is still on him. Christ says, go show yourself to the priest, and they take off. But wait a minute. Go into the priest with something you did. After you're healed, and the priest went, yep, you're healed. But they're not healed. They're still in the same condition. But you know, they're basically expecting the answer to come and preparing for it. And we find a lot of examples in the Bible of this. I preached a message years ago where the prophet told the people to dig some ditches. Dig some ditches. They need water. There's no water. Where are we going to get it? Dig the ditches and prepare for it. Guess what? The water came. 
We find places like uh, another leper in the Bible where Naaman was told to go dip in the Jordan seven times. He had to obey before he was healed. He had to trust God that it was going to happen. We find a nobleman's son in John chapter 4. The nobleman shows up and, and tells Christ, you need to come with me. My son is sick. And Jesus said, except you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And he says, please, Lord, come with me ere my child die. And Jesus saith unto him in verse 50, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. We have a God who wants us to just trust him. Christ anointed the eyes of a man in John chapter 5, and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and you'll see again. The guy obeyed, and it happened. And the point is this, like we see here, Christ says to the ten lepers, just go show yourself to the priest. They obey They walk by faith. They don't wait until they see the results, and God blesses them for it. I've been guilty. You've probably been guilty in the past of saying, well, when this happens, then I'll do that. But God might be waiting for us to just do that in order to make this happen. Well, when when I get that job or I hit this plateau or I do this or I accomplish it, then I'll start being faithful. I'll start going to church. God says, you do all that stuff first. You trust me first. And then the answer will come. We have this kind of a conditional faith. But we find here another example of what God wants from us. You just obey. Just go start and and head that way and, and do what I told you to do and watch what happens. Now, we find in verse 14 that when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. When they took off, they were no better off than they'd been five minutes ago when They went to this great teacher, this famous teacher. But they head off to find the priest, wherever the priest is. And something amazing happens on the way. They're walking along. All of a sudden, this guy feels a little tingle in his fingers, and he's going, tingle in my finger? And they begin to look down, and, and they notice things they haven't noticed for years. The fingers are there. The limbs are there. The flesh is pink again. The hair is back on it. Something's going on here. And it's absolutely amazing. And they begin to rejoice and cheer. And and there is sweet madness because they're healed. They're healed of their leprosy. You know, spiritually speaking, leprosy represents our sinful condition. Did you notice that? In the Bible, as you study it, you find that leprosy is a picture of sin. And we find verses like this in Isaiah 64, 6, which says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our unrighteousness or our righteousness are as filthy rags. And there are those who believe the filthy rags spoken of there are the rags a leper would use to to wipe the, 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 the pus and the blood and the junk off his skin. And God looks at our righteousnesses, not the worst that we can do, but the best that we can do. And he says, that's like that filthy rag. There is no cure on earth for sin. Man tries to pay for his sin, work his way to heaven, go to baptistry water to have his sins cleansed, but none of that stuff will work. You know, sin kills everything it touches, just like leprosy. It contaminates. And and as we're guilty of it, we, we defile ourselves. We defile many with our hate and with our lust and with our selfishness, with our uh, impatience, with our harshness, with our pride. 
we're stingy, we're insensitive, we're insincere, we're inappropriate, we are undependable, we're, we're bitter, we gossip, and, and we're guilty of these things. And we're told this in Isaiah 59 too, God says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you. Our sin is what separates us from God. It doesn't matter who we are. We have Jews here in this group. We have a Samaritan in this group, perhaps. But we find this in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need the Savior's touch, don't we? We need a time in our lives when we realize we are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. Baptism did not wash our sin away. I've spent all week in the Bible college explaining this very subject, basic salvation. You do not work your way to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness. We saw it a moment ago. But according to his mercy that he saves us. We're saved by grace. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. We simply need to change our mind about our sin and and what the Bible calls repentance. And we simply need to place all our faith in what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross to save us. Plus nothing, minus nothing. That's what the Bible teaches. For me, that Savior's touch in my life was on March 5th, 1981. I've never forgotten it. I've never been the same. Have you had that Savior's touch on your life? The leprosy of sin is eating away at the lost person and and sending them out into a Christless eternity. Jesus Christ shed his blood for our sins. Have you received that atonement? as the payment for your sins. We see the suffering ten. We see the Savior's touch. Thirdly, we see the Samaritan's thankfulness. We we read in verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Notice those words, turn back. He turned back. The others went on. This guy's different. He turns back. Kind of like Naaman. I mentioned him a moment ago. He dipped in the Jordan seven times. His leprosy was gone. He could have gone back to Syria, but he turned back and he went and he thanked the prophet. He turned back. I remember a time uh, when I went into the ditch and I was out in a rural area. I was probably 100 miles from here. And I'm I'm in the ditch going, how in the world am I going to get out of here? And this this, uh, truck comes along pulling a mobile home. It, It was toting a mobile home. And they stopped. And they said, well, we'll help you out. And I'm going, you're hauling a, a mobile home. They, they, they start taking the mobile home off the back and, and, and backing forward and backing in. And another guy comes along, elderly gentleman with his wife. He knows the guy pulling the mobile home. He goes, oh, you, you need to get on your way. They're friends and, and I'll take care of this. I'm going, wow, that's a friendly area here. I got to go in the ditch more often. Anyway, the guy hooks up his mobile home again. He heads down a gravel road. This guy gets me out of the ditch with his wife. And uh, I, I go to thank them, and, and, and they said, well, we really need to thank that guy for stopping. The guy with the, the mobile home, I said, you know, you're right. And uh, so he said, hop in the truck. So this guy drives and drives. We're driving for 10, 15 minutes trying to find out where that mobile home went until finally he finds him, and I go up there, and I offer the guy, you know, some money for stopping, all that kind of thing. And he goes, oh, no, just, just to know that he went to all this work to come and thank me. And I thought, well, it was really the other guy. But, you know, we find a leper that goes out of his way and he turns around and he goes back to thank the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I I, I think of that 
And then I, I read this in verse 15. It mentions that with a loud voice, he glorified God. So he turns back, and with a loud voice, he's praising God. By the way, the loud voice, well, he's used to speaking loud. He may have lost his ears during his years of leprosy or been used to crying out unclean and doing that for so long. We read in verse 16 that he fell down on his face at his feet, at Christ's feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. We see here the Samaritan's thankfulness. God help us not to miss an opportunity. I know we're horribly busy. I know these are busy days, honestly. But we, we really need to commit to this. Honestly, it's, it's part of being a Christian. I think it's part of our worship, really, to be grateful to God. You know, there's a verse over in Psalm 30 and verse 2 that reminds me of this leper. It says, O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. Did the leper think of that verse at the time? It had been around for a thousand years at that time. Did he think of how, O Lord, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. We see the Samaritan's thankfulness. But we see finally what I call a sad truth. And Christ, in a lamentable voice, I think, in verse 17, brings it up. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save or except this stranger. I looked at that word stranger this last week and, and thought of, of how we're strangers before salvation. In fact, there's a verse over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, says that at that time before salvation, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Well, that describes us, doesn't it? That's the condition we're in before we get saved. Now, notice this sad truth in verse number 17. Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Where were the nine? How come they didn't come back and thank them? Well, maybe they're a lot like us. And after they're cleansed, maybe they're, they're saying, well, let's see if this is real. And then I'll thank. Or let's see if this lasts. And then I'll thank. Or uh, let's just uh, maybe plan on going to see Jesus later. I, I got to get on my way now. Or maybe, maybe I never had leprosy to begin with. Maybe that's the deal. Or maybe I'd have gotten better anyway. Or, or maybe I'll thank the priest. Or maybe I was already getting better. You know, there are so many sources of ingratitude. So many reasons why we're not thankful. And there are so many things that can really get in the way of us being thankful. You know that wealth or success can turn our heads sometimes and keep us from being thankful. We find the Jewish people about to go into the promised land and God pointing out some things as a precaution ahead of time in Deuteronomy 8.12. He says to him, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. I wonder how many folks have been victimized by wealth and success, and as a result, gotten ungrateful. Or maybe it's uh, self-sufficiency. Certainly there are a number of examples in the Bible of, of good men, like Uzziah, 
who was dependent upon the Lord and then got steamrolling and things were going his way and he's inventing all kinds of stuff and, and the hand of God is on him, the blessings are flowing and all of a sudden he gets self-sufficient. And we read in Second Chronicles twenty six fifteen that his name, Uzziah, was spread far abroad for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. He went downhill from there. He became a leper before the thing was done. How about pride? Pride. Pride can really keep us from being grateful like we ought to be. Um, Hezekiah had been sick unto death. He was a king in Israel. They've, they found artifacts even recently to Hezekiah's uh, reign. And, and he, was, he was healed. It was a mir- miraculous thing. But we read in Second Chronicles 32, 24, But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. And notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. What does it take? What do we have to lose before we appreciate things? You know, I think of this leper in that first night going back home to his family. I don't think anyone's ever appreciated his family more than that man. Maybe going to the temple after all this happened and, and appreciating the Sabbath. And, and I think for him, it was probably even a way of life before because he's the only one of the 10 who did it. You know, shouldn't our appreciation, folks, last past Thanksgiving Day or, or Thanksgiving weekend, should we not make a habit of being grateful should it not be a way of life, learn behavior, whatever you want to call it? Paul put it this way in Philippians 4.11. He says, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Is this something that we can cultivate and, and, and learn by doing maybe? You know, if you've ever gone downhill skiing for the first time and, and driven, driven up to the slopes and, and seen people just zigzagging down the hills. You don't go, hey, I'm going to go out there and do that. No, you learn to do that, don't you? Or if you've ever seen somebody cut back and forth water skiing, you don't go, you know, I'm going to throw that ski on and, and do that. No, you don't just do that. You learn to do that. How about being thankful? How about being thankful for whatever it might be? So the so the kids aren't perfect. You know they're not. So the spouse isn't perfect. So the church isn't perfect. So the pastor isn't perfect. So the job is not perfect. Or the house or the car, whatever it might be. Can we learn in whatsoever state we're in to be content? To be content. Your ship may never come in. <laughs> Probably won't. And your dream might never come true. And your situation might never change, and you might never get to Maui or whatever it might be. It just might not happen. But can you learn in whatsoever state you are to be there with content? Or are we going to, are we going to live life in the claws of discontentment? It's a miserable way to, to go. You know, we are, are given so much by God, and we really need to, to cultivate deep down thankfulness. Could I take an opportunity on this, this special day to say I'm thankful for my friends? I'm thankful for the friends at Fargo Baptist Church, the new friends, uh, the old friends. I sung a little song in, in grade school. Maybe you did as well. Make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver and the other 
is gold. And as, as we approach our 30th anniversary here, I am grateful for every year I've been able to serve alongside of you folks. It's been an honor to serve alongside of you, to many times work through the night, um, work through the cold. I remember being up on the red iron with you guys of this building in January, trying not to slide off. I remember climbing the radio tower uh, hundreds of feet in the air west of town here with some of you. I, I remember pouring concrete with many of you. I remember going on visitation with many of you or, or doing feasts of charity and, and laughing our lungs out so many years, maybe brainstorming on things or, or, or just going after the lost, missions trips and, and, uh, and struggling and overcoming obstacles and, and giving together and sacrificing together and, and loving and losing and marrying and burying so many down through the years. I cherish your friendship. I'm, I'm thankful for you. I really am. Uh, don't forget to thank God. Don't forget to thank God. There was a church member who went into council with their pastor, and they were suffering a financial collapse, a real reversal. And, and they went in, they sat down, they said, Preacher, I've lost everything. I've lost everything. And the preacher said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear you've lost your faith. I said, I didn't say that. I didn't lose my faith. Well, I'm so sorry to hear you lost your family. No, no, no. I, I didn't lose my family. Preacher said, I'm so sorry to hear you've lost your character. I didn't lose my character. Well, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear you lost your testimony. I said, I haven't lost my testimony. Preacher said, I'm so sorry to hear you lost your salvation. Guy said, I didn't lose my salvation. Preacher said, let me get this straight. You haven't lost your faith. You haven't lost your family. You haven't lost your character, your testimony, or your salvation. Seems to me you haven't really lost anything that matters. Sometimes we think, oh, I've lost everything. No, we haven't. We have so much to thank God for. Many of you have read the Matthew Henry commentary of the Bible. Matthew Henry was a preacher of the Esther years, and uh, he was a circuit rider at times, and he was robbed one time as he was horse riding through the wilderness. And they took everything he had, but afterwards he got on his knees and he, he prayed and he said, Lord, I thank you first that this is the only time I've been robbed in all these years. I thank you secondly that they took everything I had, but it wasn't much. I thank you thirdly that they took my money, but they didn't take my life. And he said, I thank you fourthly that it was me who was robbed and not me who did the robbing. And how true that is. We can thank God for so many. It's like the, the old Puritan who sat down to a meal of cornbread and water and said, all this in Jesus too. All this in Jesus too. You know, I think everyone within the sound of my voice has reason to thank. First of all, you're not a leper. You're not a leper. It could be so much worse. There was a preacher who visited a missionary on the island of Tobago years ago. And he was sitting up front during the church service, and, and, and they, were, they were requesting songs. And uh, somebody said, does anyone have a, a favorite song? The song leader said, anyone out there? And this voice from the back said, I do. And the preacher turned around to look at what he said later was the most disfigured face he'd ever seen in his life. The, the ears were wilted. The nose was gone. The lips were gone. It was a leprous woman, and she raised a stub of a hand 
And she said, I've got a favorite song. And the song leader said, what is it, sister? She said, count your blessings. Count your blessings. They sung count your blessings. And that that visiting preacher said, I couldn't sing a word of it. I just wept. I just wept. And he was telling the story to a friend when he got back home. And the friend said, I suppose you'll never sing that song again, huh? Preacher said, no, I'll sing it again. But I'll never sing it the same way again. Folks, we have so much to thank God for. Do we seize the opportunity? Throughout the day, the little things, the things that we could take for granted, but God brings them to us. God does them for us. God blesses us with them. Whatever it is, please, God help us. Don't forget to thank Him. Don't forget to thank Him. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.